We're going to read our passage this morning. We'll be in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the numbers of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. All right, kids, where are you guys at this morning? Raise your hands. All right. So, all right, kids, my first question for you is, uh, what does it mean to be left out? Marshall? Like nobody's around. Maybe like your sisters are off doing something and they're playing and they don't want you to play with them like that. Do, do, do you guys like it when you get left out? No. Why don't you like it? Zeke. And you feel lonely and nobody wants to play with you. All right. Here's the second question. Who remembers what Mr. Sean did when he came up here? First thing when we started the service. Uh, he welcomed everybody. He welcomed everybody. So he, did he just welcome the grownups? Just the boys. Just the people with hair that was the same color of his. Just the people that wore glasses. Just the people that have on plaid shirts. No? He wel- how, who did he welcome? Everybody. So nobody was left out of that welcome. Why do you think Mr. Sean welcomes everybody to our church? Who else welcomes everybody to our church? Everybody say it. Jesus. God works too. Right? Because God accepts everyone. He welcomes everybody through Christ into his presence. The reason why we're talking about this is because in our passage today, there are some people that get left out. And when they get left out, they're upset about it. It bothers them. They don't want to be left out. And so what happens is they tell the leaders of the church, and then the leaders of the church take action. They take steps so that those people don't get left out anymore. And so kids, what I want you guys to, to hear and to learn this morning is that we don't ever want you to feel like you are left out at church. We don't ever want you to feel left out at BC. And so if there's ever a time where you feel like you're left out, like we're missing something, like we're not doing what we should do to care for the kids at this church, I want you guys to do what the people in this passage did. I want you to tell us so that we can take steps like they did to fix it so that you don't feel left out because we want you to know 
that you're welcome here and we care about you and we are glad that you are here, even though you're shorter and have different colored hair and some of you have glasses and some of you don't, even though we're all different, we want to welcome all of you because this isn't just a church for grownups. This is a church for everybody. And so you guys are welcome. If there's ever any time you feel left out, tell your mom and dad, tell us so that we can include you in the life of our church better because that's what we want to do. So let's pray and then we'll get into this passage together. Jesus, we thank you that this passage reminds us that you hear our complaints, that they don't fall on on deaf ears, but that you, you love us, you care for us, you, by your spirit, cause your people to, to show us and model for us the love that you have for us, the inclusive love you have for us. And so we pray this morning, as we, we look at this passage, as we see uh, the apostles responding to a problem in the life of the church, them, them taking steps, um, that we wouldn't just see this as a practical situation, but that we would see it as, as you working by your spirit in the life of your church to love your people well. And that we would know that this isn't just something you did during the book of Acts, but it's something that you do today for us through one another. We pray that you would move in us by your spirit. Help us to understand your word together this morning. That Jesus, you would would stir our affections for you. Stir our love for you. And then that would overflow as we love others on your behalf. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, in Acts 5, we saw the church kind of begin to face new problems. So it had kind of been, been growing. Everything was, was sunshine and rainbows. Things were going well. Uh, and then at the beginning of Acts 5, dishonesty creeps into the life of the church through the line of Ananias and Sapphira. And then in the next passage, something else starts to happen. They, the, they, the apostles begin to face more suffering and persecution at the hands of the Jewish religious leaders. So there are these new problems coming into the life of the church. And today introduces another one of those problems. There is disunity in the church. Uh, earlier in Acts, right, everybody has everything in common, all the needs are being met, everybody has, everything is going well. But now there's this, this new issue that crops up where there is this disunity. And so Luke tells us that as the church was growing, this complaint arises from the Hellenists against the Hebrews, and then the apostles are going to take steps to address that complaint. And so the first thing we need to do is we need to talk about what this problem is. In order to do that, we need to understand who these two groups of people are. There's the Hellenists and there's the Hebrews. And the Hellenists are the ones that are complaining about the Hebrews. So the first thing we need to know is that both of these groups, the Hellenists and the Hebrews, both of them are groups of Jewish Christians. The difference is that there is a a cultural and linguistic gap between them. There are some some barriers between these two groups of people. They have to deal with their culture and the language that they speak. So the Hellenists are Jews that had been living outside of Judea, outside outside of Jerusalem. Then they kind of relocated back to the city. They're, They're there as the church is growing. And they spoke mainly Greek and maybe just a little bit of Aramaic. The Hebrews are Jews that had been living in Jerusalem and Judea. They spoke 
mostly Aramaic and maybe a little bit of Greek. So there's a, a linguistic, a language difference between these two groups of people. There's also cultural differences because the Hellenists lived outside of Jerusalem. For them, Jerusalem was less important. They had spent most of their lives worshiping God without the temple as part of it on a regular basis. And so for them, the temple was less important. Jerusalem and Judea was less significant to them. For the Hebrews, it was the opposite, right? They spent a lot of time at the temple, so the temple was very important for them. Jewish culture was very important to them because they hadn't ever left it. For the Hellenists, they had been heavily influenced by Greek culture. And so there's these these two groups, and we've seen earlier in Acts that the church shared possessions with one another. Anytime anybody had a need, the need got met in the life of the church, There's some sort of system in place. Luke says that they were being neglected in the daily distribution. So the church had created some sort of system uh, by which daily needs were met. They they were given necessities and food and other things on a daily basis so that these people who were needy could have their needs met. And he said earlier in Acts 4 that, that there wasn't anyone among them that had need. But these Hellenists, the widows specifically, were being neglected. During this time, a widow had had little to no means to provide for herself. And so in the church, they depended on the church family to meet those needs. But these Hellenist widows were being neglected. They were being passed over. They weren't being, uh, they weren't having their needs met. They weren't being provided for by their church family. So they do what they should have done. They speak up and their complaint comes before the apostles. And so the apostles meet together, and they're tasked to solve this problem. And the apostles say, it's not our problem. That's not what they say. They say this, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Clearly, preaching is more important than service, right? That's our takeaway. Everybody go home. That's not what this is saying. What the apostles are saying is they're saying that if if they split their focus, instead of doing what they had been doing, if they add something on there, they're going to do both things worse. They're going to do both things poorly. And so what they want to do is they want to give another group the task of meeting this need because they see it as very, very important. It's not saying preaching is important, serving tables is not important. They're saying both of these things are very important in the life of the church. And so we need people devoted to both of them. And so they say, let's appoint some people to do this. They're they're looking for seven leaders to take on this task. Specifically, the qualifications are seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. These are the qualifications. They want somebody that's full of the spirit, full of wisdom, that has a good reputation. And I think that sometimes... When we think about what's happening in this passage, they just need somebody to pass out food. We might be prone to think, why do they need these spiritual qualifications? Right? If they're just like delivering food door to door, what, is, what does it matter? And I think that the reason why we think that is because sometimes we think that there is such a thing as a spiritual and a non-spiritual task. But the reality is for, for believers, for the church, everything is a spiritual task. Right? It doesn't matter whether we're preaching the gospel, whether we're passing out food, whether we're trying to ease cultural differences among two different groups of people, whether we're setting up chairs before service, whether you're, you know, tearing down equipment after service. These things are things that we do better if we do them full of the spirit and full of wisdom. 
Because we're doing these things for God's glory and for the good of others. And we serve in a much better way when we're being full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. There aren't uh, spiritual and non-spiritual tasks. Because our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're gifted by the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. For us, for believers, for those who have trusted in Christ, everything we do is a spiritual thing. The question is whether or not we're paying attention to that reality. We're not paying attention. We're not full of the Spirit. We're not full of wisdom. We're doing things worse than we would if we were. So they select seven people who are qualified to do this. And they put forward seven guys. The first is Stephen, who Luke tells us is is full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. We're going to get to know him more in our next passage. Next is Philip, then Prochorus, then Nicanor, then Timon. Evidently, Pumbaa did not make the cut here. There's Parmenas, Nicolaus. This is a, a, the last guy, Luke tells us, is a proselyte of Antioch. This guy is a Gentile who became a Jew, who became a Christian. So normally when we read the book of Acts, we think that Cornelius is the first Gentile that becomes a Christian, but he's not. This guy is. Uh, or maybe not this guy. Maybe it's somebody else that we don't know. He just came to Christianity through Judaism instead of straight to Christianity from being a Gentile. And what's important for us to see about these seven people that are put forward is that these are all Hellenistic names. For Jews living in Jerusalem, living in Judea, it wasn't uncommon for them also to have a Greek name. So we've got, you know, Saul and Paul. Uh, But these names were uncommon. These are Hellenistic guides that were put forward to solve this problem in particular. And so they're saying, we're going to put forward people to solve this disagreement that's happening between the Hebrews and the Jews. And we already have a bunch of Hebrew leaders, the apostles. And so what we're going to do is we're going to put forward some leaders who aren't Hebrews, who are Hellenists, to address this specific problem. So they are selecting these guys deliberately to ease the tension that's happening between these groups. So these seven are brought before the apostles. The apostles pray for them, lay hands on them. They set them apart for this spiritual task that they're doing. These guys are kind of like uh, like prototypical deacons in the New Testament. The word deacon isn't used here. The the noun, the, the verb is used, but it's also used just to kind of generically talk about service. But these guys are kind of like precursors to the deacons that come later in a formal way. Uh, they're not officially the first deacons, but they're kind of like put the church on the road for deacons to come into the life of the church. So we see the result of their decision, the apostles' solution in verse 7. Luke says, the word of God continued to increase. The gospel keeps getting preached. The apostles don't stop doing that. They keep doing that. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. These guys coming on as leaders in the life of the church, taking this practical need off the plate of the apostles, allowed them both to meet more spiritual needs in the life of the church. The church was able to continue to grow because they had more systems in place to serve and shepherd and disciple and care for the people under their charge. The church keeps growing. So despite 
the dishonesty of Ananias and Sapphira, and despite the persecution of the Jewish religious leaders, and despite the, the potential significant cultural disunity happening from this situation, Jesus keeps building his church. None of these things were able to hold it back. His spirit keeps moving, keeps pushing forward. More disciples are being saved. More people are coming into the life of the church. Even a lot of the priests from the temple are being saved as the church is meeting there and the gospel is being shared. And I think one thing that we could do with this passage is we could take this passage and and think about it or even apply it in just kind of purely a practical or pragmatic way, right? There's There's a problem The apostles meet together. The church meets together. They come up with a solution. They put this practical solution in place. The church grows. Now we've got our formula, right? Anytime there's a problem, let's meet. Let's talk about the problem. Come up with a solution. Put the solution in place. Church grows. Let's just keep doing that forever. And... I mean, it's not, it's not bad to see the practicality of that. Like, they, they did step in. They did come up with a good solution. They did use the wisdom and use the spirit to put this system in place to care for the widow so that they didn't get neglected anymore. That's a good thing, and we should celebrate that. But we shouldn't just celebrate that. Because if we only focus on that side of the thing, we miss the spiritual things that are taking place here. We miss what Jesus is doing behind the scenes in this passage, right? Because these widows have a valid complaint. Them being neglected is harmful, not just to them, but harmful to the church as a whole. And so as they voice their complaint, it's not just the apostles that hear their complaint. Jesus hears their complaint. And the response from the apostles shows us, communicates to us, reminds us that Jesus does hear, Jesus does care, and he takes action on their behalf to meet their needs through people in the church. Right? This passage is a reminder to us that Jesus cares for us, that he loves us, that he uses his people, he uses the church to remind us of that fact. The reason reason why we don't want anyone to be left out is not because we want to be known as people that are welcoming. It's not because we want to be good friends. We don't want people to feel left out because we don't want them to feel like they're left out of Jesus' love for them. Because it's our responsibility to make that known. It's our responsibility to manifest that in the way we love and care for and welcome and serve and minister to and encourage one another. And if we don't do that well, we might forget that Jesus does love us. He does care for us. He is for us. He doesn't want us to be neglected. He wants us to have our needs met through the body, through the life of the church. Right now, there are problems that I have that you have, that our church has, right? We have complaints. We have things in our life that we don't like. And that's, that's the reality of living in a broken and fallen world and being broken and fallen people. But Acts, 1, Acts 6, 1 through 7 reminds us that Jesus is not indifferent towards us. 
He's not indifferent towards our complaints. He's not indifferent towards my complaints or yours. Now, some of those complaints, he's going to dismiss because they're invalid. But some of them, he's going to remind us that he loves us. And he's going to use people like you and people like me to do that for one another. The apostles are not the heroes of this story. The seven guys that get put forward, they're not the heroes of this story. The widows who voice their complaint, they're not the heroes of this story. It's Jesus. It's because of him that the widows had the boldness and the courage to speak up and say, hey, I'm being neglected. It's because of him that the apostles cared about their complaint when it was brought before him. It's because of him that the apostles had the wisdom and the spirit to come up with a solution that met the need. It's because of him that there were seven other men in the church who are also full of the spirit and full of wisdom. He is the one who is causing these things to happen. And he's doing it so that he can remind his church, them and us, that he cares about us. Our complaints, our needs, our desire for love matters to him and he wants to make sure it's met. So let's be people who are watchful, who are looking for him to do that in our lives, in the life of our church. Let's be people who look at and pay attention to other people encouraging us, caring for us, welcoming us. None of us do those things naturally. So if someone is encouraging you, if someone is welcoming you, if someone prays for you, if someone asks you how your week was, if someone invests in you, if someone takes interest in you, they're doing that because Jesus in them is changing who they are. And they don't care about you because they're great people. They care about you because Jesus is causing them. Jesus is empowering them to care about you. So let's be people that that see that and celebrate that and are reminded that when other people are, are serving us, are caring for us, are ministering to us, are encouraging us, that Jesus is doing that through them to us. And let's be people who are conduits of his love, of his grace, of his mercy to other people. Let's put ourselves in positions to be encouraging, not so that we can say, oh, I'm awesome. Look at how encouraging I was to that person. But so that Jesus through us can be encouraging to them. So that his spirit can work in us to cause us to do things, act in ways, be in ways that we don't naturally want to do. This passage reminds us that Jesus loves us. He cares for us. He cares for his church, for everyone. And so let's be a church that puts this same love and care and concern on display for ourselves and for one another. So after church today, pay attention when people talk to you, ask questions, love them well, put yourself in a place to love other people like Jesus has called you to love other people. Not so that you can be great, but so that they can be reminded that Jesus is great and that Jesus cares for them. Let's pray together and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper for the church. Jesus, we, we are so thankful 
that you are not ever indifferent towards us. But that you, you, you went out of your way. You came down here. You, you took on flesh. You became like us to demonstrate the love and care and concern you have for us. We thank you that seeing who you are in this passage isn't new. It isn't surprising. It isn't exceptional. It's who you are in every passage. It's who you are all the time. It's us that forget. And so we pray this morning that you would, you would use your spirit. You would use your word. You would use your people to remind us of who you are, that you love us, that you are for us, that you are on our side, that you hear our complaints and that you meet us in our neediness with your abundance. Pray that you would use your spirit to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. that we would not only receive reminders of your love, but that we would give them as we encourage others, as we build one another up, we stir each other up towards love and good deeds. Help us to, to faithfully represent and model you to our brothers and sisters in our church family. Jesus, we thank you that you welcome all of us that you never, never leave us out. We pray that we would display that well for others. It's in your name we pray. Amen.